All right, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 10. I want to talk to you about a settled heart in unsettling times. A settled heart in unsettling times. 1 Peter 5:10. Now, the setting of 1 Peter is is one of you know, a lot of trouble, a lot of persecution. Uh, Peter is writing to the believers who are just under tremendous suffering. They're dying for their faith, um, being killed, arrested. It's, it's really a, a difficult season that the body of Christ is going through right here. Now, I'd said it last week, but, but think about this. What, what if all of a sudden the, the, the military or, or the, the police force came and just raided our service right here and they found out who the leaders were um, and arrested us and took us off just simply because of our faith in Jesus. You know, it's happening in a lot of places in our world right now, actually. I've talked to several people who have been arrested for their faith, imprisoned, and had family members even killed for their faith in some of my time in the Middle East. Imagine if that was what was happening, because that's exactly what's happening to the people that Peter is writing this to. So he wants to bring some comfort, some strength to them. Uh, you could imagine what the next Sunday would be like. Imagine if I got arrested and taken out and executed and y'all gathered again next Sunday. Some of you'd be happy. Some of you'd be sad, right? <laughs> no, it'd be, it'd be very grim, wouldn't it? Well, that, that's what's going on right here. And Peter has some encouragement and some instruction to give to the saints. Just want to read verse uh, 10 right here for now. It says, but may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. All right, let me, let me read that one more time to you. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, God's going to do this, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. It's an honor to have it. It's an honor to read it. It's an honor to hear it. Lord, we just ask that you just take this word and make it bread for our soul. We're living in unsettling times, Lord, but we need your spirit to speak and settle our hearts. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for your peace and your rest to come upon your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, this verse 10 is in, in a familiar grouping of passages, but we, we're not really familiar with verse 10 as much as we are verse number 8 and 9. Verse number 8 and 9 are the verses that say, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You, you remember that passage? Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now, he's telling us throughout all of this situation, we know in our lives, in our situation, in our communities, the enemy's at work. There's no doubt about that. He's always trying to, to capitalize on a situation, to steal, kill, and destroy, to bring discouragement or, or, or whatever it might be. He's always doing his dirty work somehow, some way. And that's, Peter tells us that, and we know that in trouble. We see that in, in this virus. There's all kinds of crazy manipulation and all kinds of silly stuff going on that's absolutely dastardly and diabolical in a lot of ways. And we see the enemy's fingerprints in a lot of things, don't we? We see him in the death. We see him in all the fear and all the anxiety and all the worry and all the stress that's going on. That, that's, that's his fingerprints. We see him at work. But the passage doesn't end in verse number 8 and 9. But oftentimes I found out that our perspective does. Sometimes we get so enemy focused about all the bad and negative and all that kind of stuff that we forget that there's another perspective, that God's at work as well. 
So verse 8 and 9 tells us that the adversary is at work. Now, we're not ignorant of that. We've got to keep that in mind. That's, we're not on a picnic. We're in a war. So we know that there's an adversary. We're not aloof to that. But we're not to be so focused on the adversary that we forget God. Does that make sense to you? Because you can get so focused on the battle and the enemy that you forget about the God who is over it all. You can get so focused on the negative that you forget that there is hope. You can get so focused on the worry that you forget that there is a God who is working a purpose, not just in the global aspect of things, but in our lives, in my personal life, in my family, in my job, in my future. He's working on my behalf. So I encourage you, don't let your theology stop in verse number 8 and 9. We need some verse number 10. <laughs> Because verse number 10 gives us the revelation that not only the enemy is working, but the most important thing for us as believers and as people is to know that God is at work. Hey, look at somebody beside you and say, God's at work. God's at work. It feels good to say, look at somebody beside you, doesn't it? <laughs> not just the enemy, but God is at work. And, you know, perspective is hugely important. Perspective is, is the way we view things. It's the way we see life. And, you know, faith is a perspective. The Bible gives us a perspective of how we're to look at life, how do we look at our lives, our, our jobs, our perspective, I mean, our, our possessions and our families and our days and our lives. There's, faith is a perspective. It's a way of looking at things. It's a way of looking at the world. And the scriptures were written to give us new eyes. The scriptures were written to give us a new perspective on things that we don't have to just, we go through some of the same things as the world goes through. No doubt about that. But we don't have the same perspective. Does that make sense to you? We don't have the same vision. We don't have the same idea of what's going on. Now it's bad. It's bad here in 1 Peter. It's, it's not good, even for the believers. But Peter, the apostle of the faith, is saying, look, listen, there's a whole nother perspective. God is working. God is at work. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 6, He said to seek first the kingdom of God. Say that with me. Seek first the kingdom of God. See, that's a perspective. Seek first what God's doing. God, the kingdom is God's rule and reign and his work in our lives. His kingdom work and his dominion and his, his rule and, and his authority in our lives. And it's working out day in, day out. And Jesus says, what I want you to do is not to be so focused on this world. I want you to, first of all, the very first perspective of all believers is, God, I'm looking and I'm seeking and I'm searching to find out what you are doing. Have you asked that lately? Because you know what? We've been in trouble, especially as of late. But for us as believers, we're not just in trouble, but we're also in training. We're in training. Because we're seeing this thing differently. Hey, we see Fox News. We see the news broadcast. We see all the things that are going on. We get the same data, but we don't have the same perspective. Because our, our perspective, what Jesus teaches us is that, Lord, what are you doing? I want to seek first, what are you doing? And maybe you have a loved one that's sick or afraid or something like that. And, and you see the, the, the bad things happening and all the trouble pressing in or whatever it might be. And, and you can see that and you can get all discouraged and you can be overwhelmed and say, oh my goodness, it's terrible. And it very well might be. But Jesus says the perspective that we have is to say, first and foremost, 
Lord, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? I know what this sickness is doing to their lives. I know what this job loss is doing. I know what the finances are doing to their marriage. and all. But I, I know what all that is. I don't even need a degree or counseling degree or anything. I can just see that's not good. And you know what? If we just concentrate on all of that negativity and get into conversation on that level and stay there and stay there and stay there, we have missed a grand opportunity to seek what God is doing in that situation in that heart, in that person, in that family. You understand what I'm talking about? So Jesus says, I want you to go into a situation and remember that whatever situation, I mean, because God is everywhere. He, he's, he's always working. See, that's the perspective of faith. It's not that God is going to work. The first perspective of faith is, is that God is working right now. He's not going to work. He's not just going to wait until I pray to work. He's not basing this thing upon my efforts, although I have a part to play. He's basing this thing upon his goodness and his love. And you know that person that you're encountering, and maybe it's you that's here. He loves you more than you can imagine. He's not waiting on me to pray for you. He's already at work. That's what faith tells me. So when I go into a situation, somebody that's sick or discouraged or despondent or in despair, I go in faith. And faith is not that God will meet me there. Faith is, he's already there. He's working. So Jesus said, I want you in everything, in all your encounters with people, to remember that God is working. And go into that situation, into that conversation, into that prayer, whatever it might be, looking, searching. See, when you seek for something, you look for it, don't you? You're searching, seeking. God, what are you doing? It may take a little while to find it. It may take a little bit to discern it. It may take a little conversation, a little bit of prayer, and a little bit of effort and coming and going and all that kind of thing. And then boom, boom ah, that's what you're doing. You can see it. So Peter wants to tell us that God is working. He calls God here the God of all grace. Say that with me. The God of all grace. That's a wonderful name for God. He's the God of all grace. Now this is who we're dealing with. The God of all grace. And this is who's dealing with us, the God of all grace. Now, there's an enemy who wants to devour, but there's a God of all grace that's working. You see the perspective? It just shifted, didn't it? The God of all grace. Now, if I ask you to tell me what grace is, what, what would you say? Grace is one of those church words. You, you'd probably say it's amazing, right? <laughs> And that, that's one of our all-time favorite songs of all of church history, really. It, what, what, would I, what would you say? He, he's the God of all grace. What, what? Unmerited favor? That's a great... We didn't earn it. He's gracious and kind because of he, his own character and his own heart. And he extends it to us. It's unmerited. We don't earn it. What, what else would you say about Grace. It's God's love and goodness shown to us, expressed to us. Yeah, all that's great. And what you find out about grace, it, it, it entails so much that it's hard to just pinpoint a definition in it. You find that out about grace. It really is amazing. But he's the God of all grace. Let, let me say it like this without doing any damage to that. Just to ex explain. He's the God of all graciousness. 
You, you, you think you... Does that fit? He, he's the God of all grace. He's the God of all goodness. He's the God of all good things. He's the God of all grace. Now, let me, let me tell you, you're going through a hard time. Who do you want on your side? <laughs> you want the God of all grace. Here's some ideas about grace. It has to do with favor, unmerited favor, like you said. Grace is also empowerment. When God graces somebody, He empowers them beyond their own strength, beyond their own ability. Oftentimes when I pray for people in a, in a terrible situation, a, a tragedy or loss of a loved one or something of that nature, one of my prayers I, I, I most always pray is, Lord, I pray you would help them experience a grace that they've never experienced before. And what I'm talking about is an, an empowerment to get through that. Have you ever heard somebody say, maybe you've said it yourself, and said, people say, I'm praying for you, and you'll say something like, I feel it. Because you're, you're feeling a strength, an empowerment that you didn't have on your own. You, you know what I'm talking about? That's grace. That's grace. That's graciousness. That's goodness. That's something to do with this supernatural idea of God's grace and goodness that's extended to all of those who humble themselves before Him. Grace. It's empowerment. It's, it's God's influence upon our hearts for strength, for impartation of any kind. It's His love in action. I think you said that, Janice. It's His goodness and His love in action. Grace is God's ability and strength that I can live on apart from my own strength. Now, you've got a measure of strength. You've got a measure of wisdom. You've got a measure of insight just because of the gift that God's given you in your mind. You've got a measure of, of things inside of you. But sometimes you find out that that measure comes up just a little bit short and sometimes a whole lot short. And God says, hey, I've got a plan. I'll extend to you my mercy and my grace so that you don't have to just live on what you have. You can live off of what I have. That's good news. That's really good news. God's strength because of grace is available to us. That's really, really good news. There's a whole lot we can say about the God of all grace, but say, say that again with me. The God of all grace. That's who's working with you. That's who's working on you. That's who loves you. That's who God is. And when you're going through a hard time, you don't need more negativity. What you need is more goodness. And it's the goodness of God that draws us to Him. He's the God of all grace. Now, here's, here's my least favorite phrase in this verse. Peter says, after you have suffered a while. That's not what I wanted him to say. <laughs> after you have suffered a while. What I really wanted to say is, uh, hey, here's the detour. <laughs> let's, let's, let's go around this mess. But you know, God doesn't always take us around a mess. Sometimes He takes us right through the mess, doesn't He? He didn't always help make us go around the dark valley. Sometimes He says, come on, we got to go through this dark valley. And He didn't always move the mountain out of the way. Sometimes He'll give you a pair of hiking boots and say, come on, let's take a walk. And we got to go that way. After you have suffered a while. Now He's, he's saying that it's not going to be in vain. God's got good things during the time, but also it's not going to last forever. But, you know, suffering is just a part of this life, isn't it? It really is, unfortunately. Because of sin and all the problems that, that we've caused and all the working of all the negativity and all that mess, 
Difficulty, trouble, trials, tests are just a part of our reality. So you, you can stick your head in the sand and be Pollyanna or do whatever you want to do. But the reality is we go through difficult times. It's just a fact. It's just a fact of life. But these are temporary circumstances. So what, what does he say right there? He says, he called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. And after you have suffered a while. So there's, there's two, two, another perspective here. That you've got these temporary sufferings, these temporary troubles, these temporary trials, temporary circumstances. But what he is working is eternal glory. You see that? That's a whole other perspective. And unfortunately, sometimes temporary lasts a little too long, doesn't it? Y'all know what I'm talking about? But let's, let's say that it lasts our entire life. Do you know if it even lasts our entire life, the, t the temporary sufferings of this world, if it lasts our entire life, it is just a smidget compared to eternity. It doesn't even compare. And Paul does it. Peter does it right here. He says, don't make permanent solutions on temporary circumstances because what God is working in us has an eternal weight to it. It has an eternal perspective. And eternal is, is, is forever. That's a pretty long time, isn't it? It's another perspective. Don't get so bogged down in the temporary, the checkbook, balancing the budgets, the problems you may be facing today, whatever it might be. Don't get so bogged down in the temporary that it skews your perspective that God's working something eternal here. It's important, isn't it? So there's seasons of suffering. Now, let's go over these four words real quickly. God's commitment to us in all of this. These are promises, things that God is doing and will do. He says these four things. He says God is going to perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle. Now say it with me. Perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle. Now these got a lot to them. We'll be brief. And hey, I want you to know, I want you to take special note. Y'all might need to clap for this one. Y'all know I've been preaching pretty short lately. Y'all been noticing that? <laughs> don't get used to it <laughs> it's just a temporary season okay <laughs> God is perfecting perfecting us perfecting huh. when I came to Jesus I was far from perfected that's really an understanding I was way imperfect so what did God do? What did God do for all of us who came to Jesus? What, what did God do? What did he do with all of our imperfections? At least our past sins. What did he do with those? He forgave them, didn't he? So that we, when God begins to perfect a person, he, he deals with the past. That's our sins. He puts it, what we call it, under the blood. That, that means it's, it's gone. It's, it's, it's the, the, the blood in, in some kind of mystical way we can explain it. That when that red blood hits my black sand, it disappears. Something, something happens that my past is gone. It, it, it dissolves away, not, not the memories of it, but the, the guilty stains of it, the, the things that were held against me that I did that I shouldn't have done. And God begins his perfect work in an imperfect person like myself. And then he brings that perfection to my present. And he's still working, right? And I'm not perfect. 
I'm, I'm better than I was, but I'm not perfect yet. So he's still working this perfection in me. He's, he's perfecting. I mean, we got this saying that iron sharpens iron. And so, so does a friend sharpen the countenance of his friend, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, why? Because we're imperfect. We need that, that knocking off of the rough edges, don't we? And, and, and all of us are not quite perfect. And some of us are just downright impossible. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no elbows flying. Y'all should be six feet apart. You know what I'm talking about? God begins to perfect. He works. And this is, the, this is one of the amazing things about God's character. God who is holy, absolutely no shadow of darkness in Him at all. No sin to even mention sin in Him in the same sentence is, is not, not even right to do sometimes. He is absolutely holy, perfect. And for a God of perfection, of holiness, to associate with somebody like myself, that's a miracle right there. That is an absolute miracle that he would have the patience in all of his perfection to want to deal with somebody as imperfect as us. That's a miracle. I'm going to tell you, that's a miracle of his patience with us. And here, here's, here's a wonderful promise in Philippians chapter one. Dealing with his perfection, a wonderful, wonderful promise. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. You, you hear that? My dad used to sing a song years and years ago. Maybe some of y'all heard this. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and stars. Sun and the earth, Jupiter and Mars. You know, remember how loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. And y'all give me a minute here. I'm going to sound just like my dad. My dad used to say this kind of thing. He said that, and if he says it, y'all can tell him he got it from me. It's all right. <laughs> he used to say every Christian ought to have on their neck a sign that says under construction. God's not finished with me yet. So he's working with me in my present to perfect me, to take me beyond myself, beyond even my own righteousness and the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, as Jesus would call it. Just what I would think would be right. And he takes me into his perfection. He's working on me. He convicts me where I go wrong. He brings me back like a son, like a father would a son and just says, hey, let's get back on track. Let's get this taken care of. You know what I'm talking about? He's perfecting us. How many of you still got a little ways to go? <laughs> yeah. He's perfecting us. He's working on us. Now, this, this idea of perfecting means to fit together, to adjust, or to restore back to right order. He's restoring us back. That's what salvation's about. It's, salvation is, is, is a moment in time, but it's also a process that goes throughout my whole life where God is working this perfection and, and literally saving me and sanctifying me as I go along this journey with him. And he comes to me imperfect to perfect me. That's good. That's good. And Jesus is not naive to your imperfections. He's not naive to them at all. Here's, here's one picture of the word per perfect. Anybody ever had a broken bone that a doctor had to set or maybe put a pin in or screw in to, to put it back in place? Well, that's one of the word pictures for the word perfect is that you've got a bone that's broken, broken and so that it will heal, it is, we call that set. 
it gets reset, right? It gets reset back in place. That's the idea of perfect. That's what God is doing with your mind, with your thoughts, with your affections, with your desires, with the way you work your priorities, with the way you work your life, the way you handle your marriage, the way you handle your children. God is resetting all of that in us so that it is perfected to, to be like Jesus. And it's a project. Especially if he starts where I started. It's a project, isn't it? <laughs> he's healing us. He's growing us. He's perfecting us. Much more than we could say there, but let's go to the second word. He's perfecting. He, he establishes us. When something is established, that, that means it's kind of made unshakable. If you were to look at the word established right there, the, the root word is stable. He stabilizes us. So, so we're, in, we're in times where heavy winds are blowing. And men's hearts are failing them because of fear. He wants to do something in us that causes our roots to go down into another kingdom. Into the kingdom of God so that our roots are stabilizing us. That we're rooted and grounded in the love of Christ and we're stable in unstable times. He wants to establish us. I could say it like this. He wants to give us a whole new foundation and build our lives on Christ. You remember Jesus talks about a foundation and how we should build our lives. You remember that, that, that story that's in, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It kind of acts like an altar call, so to speak, for the whole Sermon on the Mount. Remember that? The foolish man builds his house on the sand. The wise man builds his house on the rock. Why? Why? God, Jesus is saying, I want to establish your life on the rock, which is my teachings and what I, my perspective on life and my perspective on the kingdom, my perspective on you. That's the rock. Now, if I could take you to Israel, we'd go and we'd stand in a floodplain, as Jesus was talking about right here in, in Matthew 7. We would stand in a floodplain. And there's not much sand like what they have down at the Orange Beach. There's not much sand like that in, in, in Israel in that area. What they have is silt in the floodplains. You ever seen those kind of things where, where the, the, the summer rains or spring rains come down and wash out all the rock and when the rains go out and the water runs off, off the hillside, it's left with this silt, this smaller rock, basically. What Jesus is saying, I, Peter says, God wants to establish us on a whole new foundation that no matter what comes, we're stable. Jesus says right here, as if he were standing in that floodplain, he would look up and he said, what if he asked us a question? He said, where would you rather build your house? Would you build your house up on that rock up there? A picture of a mountain about three or 400 foot high. The mountains are not really terribly high in Israel. Picture a, a, a mountain, a hillside, and it cascades down into this valley. And we're standing in this floodplain. And Jesus would say, the wise man would build his house up there. And he would say the foolish man would come down here and build his house in this floodplain. Huh. And everybody would chuckle and, and you know what they would say? What idiot would come down here and build his house right here? You know what I'm talking about? It'd be like going to those bottoms over there where the teenagers are meeting over there where all that sand is. And you saw the, the preacher over there having the concrete truck come out there and throwing the wood up and getting the house built up. And, and what would you say about that preacher? You lived here a while. What would you say? 
Oh, man, he ain't from around here, is he? <laughs> and he's not too smart either. Well, that's really what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is saying, the wise man builds his house upon the rock, which are the things I'm teaching you, which is Jesus. The foolish man, it's just as foolish for you to go down here in this creek bottom and build you a $250,000 house and then expecting you're going to be okay because one day they're going to close that dam and a thunderstorm's going to come and it's going to last about four days. And what's going to happen to that house? The winds are going to come, the rains are going to come, the floods are going to come and beat that house and it will fall. See, that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about you having a life, me having a life that is so rooted in another world that whatever goes on in this world doesn't move me. You understand? I didn't say it doesn't affect you. I'm saying it doesn't move me. You see what I'm talking about? Establish us. The third word here is strengthen. Perfect, establish, strengthen. Well, we, we kind of know what strengthen is, right? It's to impart power, to impart courage, to impart ability or strength or wisdom. God wants to strengthen us. Bring it on, Jesus, please. Strengthen us. Strengthen us. To, to, anybody, could you stand to be a little stronger? Could you stand to be a little stronger to the calamities that are coming and what is already on us, actually? Could you stand to be a little bit stronger? Help, Lord! God wants to make us stronger than the adversity around us. Make us overcomers. So we receive His strength and it gives us the ability to overcome. Amen. Perfect, establish us, root us, strengthen us. And the last one, this is really what struck my heart. To settle us. To settle. To settle. For God just to settle you. Hadn't you felt that restlessness and that unstableness come up on you? Hadn't you found, felt that? That unsettling, trouble thing, troublesome thing? God wants to make us stable and secure to where we're just settled. Can you just say a prayer, Lord, settle me? Can you say that? Lord, settle me. We're in unstable times. God wants to bring stability to your soul. We're living in uncertain times, and yet God wants to give you confidence of His purpose and His work. We're living in unsettling times, yet God wants to settle our minds. that we're, He may not take us out of this conflict. He may not take us out of this calamity. But we can have a strength in it to where we're settled. And we're not settled. We don't like it. We don't even want to be in it. But we're settled that God's working and God has a purpose and a plan. And He's going to bring good eventually. You hear me? It's what we've called in many songs and poems and things like that. It's called peace in the middle of the storm. Again, we would like for the storm not to come. We'd like for the wind to come and blow the storm out, out to sea. But not, oftentimes it doesn't happen like that. Sometimes we have to just hunker down and ride it out. And God said, I want to be able to have a people who can go through a storm and still have peace in it. Who can go through a storm in life, but yet the storm's not on the inside of them. We need to be settled. And my mind races back to Jesus. 
in that boat with those disciples. The winds are up. The waves are beating, crashing into the boat. The boat's tossing and turning, possibly about to capsize. Lightning and thunder's everywhere. The storm is raging. The disciples are freaking out. They're terrified for their life. They're absolutely, you know, thought they were coming in. thought this was my first altar call right here. <laughs> I wasn't sure. <laughs> Everything is up in arms, up, up in the air, including the disciples. And where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? He's asleep in the boat. Is it, is it because he didn't care? It would certainly be crazy to accuse the Savior of the world for not caring. It's not that he doesn't care. It's just that he's not bothered. <laughs> yeah, you get it. He's just not bothered by it. It, it, it just didn't, it didn't arrest his mind. It didn't disturb his soul. It just didn't bother him. Why? Because he knew there was a father at work and it wasn't his time and he couldn't go before his time and the father told them to go to the other side. That's where they're going. Yes, there may be a storm in the period to get to the other side, but when you go on mission with God, you're going to get there. Even though there's storms, Jesus has just settled with that. And you want to know why Jesus could then wake up and have authority? It's because he was settled before the storm ever came. He was just okay. It's kind of what Paul talks about, peace that passes understanding. Peace that doesn't make sense to a human mind. That's the kind of peace we need. So my, my heart for you today is to receive a settling. A settling in your spirit. How long is this going to last, Pastor? I have no idea. When, when are we going to get back to normal? I have no idea. We're going to work towards getting in the building for next Sunday, but you know that doesn't mean normal's coming. I don't know. But I, I do know this. Whether circumstances change or not, we need to change. We need to get settled. L listen to what our master says. And, and this is not just a saying. This is, this is like an impartation that he gives. Now, I want you to receive that. as such. Just by faith, just receive this from the words of Jesus as, as an impartation to you. Jesus would say this to us. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now, now don't just blow through that. Jesus says to, to his, his people, to us, my peace I give you. And I just say, thank you. I'll, I'll take that. You see how peaceful Jesus is throughout all the Gospels? He's just in perfect peace. Because his mind stayed on his father. He's just kept in perfect peace. And Jesus says, this is what I want for your life. I want my peace to be on you. That same kind of peace y'all witnessed me being in that boat asleep. I, I, I want the next storm that comes, not that you're aloof to it, not that you don't care and you're not concerned. You're just not bothered. You're not anxious anymore. 
You might have a response, but it doesn't have to be worry. We have something to do and maybe a wise response to happen. But anxiety. Is that my cue? <laughs> it's sure good to hear that baby cry. I love it. I love it. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to give you my peace, and I want you to take the authority over your own soul and say, heart, don't be troubled. Mind, stop being afraid. Now, see, this is like a revelation because, see, we're taught that we can't control those kind of things and we need help control. No, you as the dignity that God has made you as a human being, you can have authority over your thoughts. You can have authority over your mind. You can receive the peace of God and you can tell those thoughts, hey, be still. Be still. And sometimes you got to tell them several times. <laughs> over and over and over. Jesus said, I'm going to give you peace. And then I want you to understand, don't let yourself go into that trouble. Don't let it. All right. I, I think I'm done. I think I'm done. And oh yeah, by the way, there's a verse number 11 too. What you have to do in the Bible is just keep reading. Just got to keep reading. And here's, here's the other part that settles us. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know what that says? I want you to be perfected, established, strengthened, and settled. And know this. God is in charge. And God is in control. That, that alone just ought to just... <sighs> but you know, we're all a bunch of control freaks. And we got to control everything and everybody. But if we just pull off and pull back up and say, you're in charge. <laughs> Let me just remember that. I don't have to fix the universe. I don't even have to fix my problems. You're in charge. That settles us. So, so can you just receive a settling? The perfecting is happening. The establishing is happening. The strengthening is happening. And let's let God settle us. Just, settle. just take a deep breath. Can you just... Lord, just settle me. A settled heart in unsettling times. You're good?